0: We have a lot of ground to cover, so I would like to sit and reflect, but we have literally 40 verses to cover. Are you ready? I'm not, that's not a joke. Sometimes I joke about these kinds of things, and this morning I'm not joking. So welcome to those of you who are in the room, and welcome those of you who are online uh, with us, joining us today. We're super thankful that you're here. Um, and today we're going to talk about some, uh, just several very serious lessons that Jesus taught, out of, some, out of some very serious questions that he got at the temple one day. But uh, before that, I do want to just update you. I know a lot of you are praying, and we just feel, Kate and I feel super loved and supported and, and prayed for our family just in this time that we've been walking through um, some serious medical issues with our youngest. And I want to let you know that she had her second procedure this last week, and everything went amazing. Um, the doctors, yeah, thank you. So... The doctors are super encouraged. Um, after a four and a half hour, very crazy surgery that I won't even get into today, they were able to remove everything that needed to be removed, repair everything that needed to be repaired. And they are basically letting her heal for a few months before any, anything else, but they were able to, to save her eardrum. They were able to save all of the nerves of her ear. They were also able to save her facial nerve uh, which is awesome, and she was very thankful for. Um, and, and also, um, they were just able to uh, just restore everything and prepare it for the next step for her, which, is, which is, is really big. And so thanks for all of your prayer and support. We really appreciate it. I did want to update you because I know that you care. So thank you so much. Okay. Man, a lament service, surgery... Veterans Day. Whew. All right, take a breath. It's going to be okay. Sometimes it feels a little heavy, but that's, that's all right. You know, um, we're going to pray before we start, and then we're just going to focus on Jesus for a few minutes and then be done this morning. So, God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the freedoms that we have. Lord, I'm asking today that you would open up our hearts to your word today. Open up our, our ears to hear from you and only you today. Lord, we just want to hear from your word. Lord, would you just shine your light and just open up your word to us and bring revelation to us from your word this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm ready for the word this morning. Me too. All right, open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. And today we are discussing verses 1 through 40. <laughs> Today we're discussing verses 1 through 40. I've been here for like six months and they're still testing me. They're still like, oh, i just give him 40, see what he does. It's fine. It's cool. We'll be fine. Everything's going to be fine. All right. All right. Come on. We got this. All right. So, you know, what I love about this passage is that Um, the religious leaders come to Jesus with all of these tests. Jesus is in the temple and he's, he's, this, he's on his way. Um, this is, this is Passion Week. So he's on his way toward crucifixion. And some scholars think this is the last time Jesus set foot inside the temple grounds, which is interesting. And this is what he chooses to talk about. And he gets all of these tests from the scribes and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the leaders. And they just come one after the other, just boom, boom, boom. They bombard him with all of these things. And you know what it says is that um, they were trying to test him, but the people were amazed. I love that. In every single thing it says, they came to test him. The people were amazed. You know what I realize about that? It's all about our perspective. It's all about our perspective. You see, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, the leaders, they came focused on themselves. The people came focused on Jesus. You see, when you come to these tests, so to speak, and you come to these parables that Jesus talks about, you can either be offended by them or be changed and challenged by them. And the real difference is just where your perspective is. If your eyes are on yourself, you're going to be offended by them. I'm just going to let you know. Today, we're talking about taxes. Today, we're talking about tithing. Ooh. Today, we're talking about loving your neighbor as yourself. I'm just, going to, I'm just putting it out there so you can leave if you want to, okay? We're talking about loving your neighbor as yourself. We're talking about taxes. We're talking about tithing. We're talking about the Bible. And we're talking about the Spirit, Okay, so now that the groundwork is laid, that's where we're headed. If you're offended, this is a good time to leave. The coffee is still on in the lobby. You're welcome to grab some on your way out. But I just want to say that if your perspective is off, this will offend you. If your eyes are on Jesus, you just might be amazed at what he says. And so today, Jesus, we set our eyes on you. We choose to set our focus on you. So, this all happens in the temple, and uh, it, it begins with a parable that Jesus tells in, in, verse, in chapter 12, verse 1. And you can go ahead and put that up on the screen, but um, I'm going to be honest, we're not reading this one today. This is, this is a lot. So please turn to it, please read it, but I just want to summarize by saying this is where this, this parable Jesus tells it's listed in all uh, the, of the first three Gospels and it's about the vineyard and he tells it, he says that there's a man who has a vineyard and he leases it to tenants and then those tenants decide to steal it from him and kill everybody he sends to get it back. And at the end I don't see if I don't know if you can read those letters there at the bottom but at the end it says they were seeking to arrest him but feared the people look at this for they perceived that he told the parable about them So Jesus tells this parable about uh, and it's a kingdom parable about a vineyard, and and the guy uh, has a vineyard, and he leases it to tenants. It's a temporary thing, and then when he wants the fruits of it, and then in the end, he wants it back, and every messenger that he sends, they beat them, they torture them. One says that they hit them in the head, and then the other one says that they, finally it says, he says, I'll send my son, and they'll respect my son, and they kill his son. And so after all of this, they perceive that he told it about them. And so they go away to scheme and trap him. So Jesus tells this whole story, and it's like, I I like how Jesus kind of tells it at them. He tells this story at them. It's not even like for their benefit. He knows they're not going to respond well. He tells it at them. It's kind of like, I like crimes. I like to watch crime shows. Judge me if you need to. That's fine. That's fine. I like to watch crime shows. And the crazier, the better. If you need recommendations, I have a list. I can't say them from here, though. Okay. So, uh, so I, I like crime shows. And sometimes Kate will watch them with me. Sometimes they're just too crazy for her. But, but I love the ones where, and, and you know, I, I love the, the true crime ones where the victim actually um, leaves a letter And in that letter, the letter says, if you find me dead, here's who did it. I love those because then, then, right, it's like, well, they, and then, and then the whole story is about how they have to go back and prove that they're the one who, that's kind of what Jesus was doing with this parable. If I'm just going to be, if I'm going to just be really blunt, Jesus was like, hey, I'm going to get killed. And they're in the room. Those that have done, those that are going to do it are in the room. And he, and then he just kind of walks away and it's like, Oh God. And so then they leave. And so then they come back and they decide they're going to try to trap him in these, uh, in in a bunch of questions. And what I love about it, it's like this is a moment where we see the pressure is on Jesus. He's, he knows what's coming. He's going to be crucified. He knows what's coming, he knows they're gonna do it. And he knows what's coming, he knows they're gonna test him. And they come at him with these questions that are tough. They're not playing around. Anybody watch the World Series? Yeah. I we watched some of the World Series. We didn't, we weren't able to watch all of it because who can watch all of it? Like, you watched all of it. Mitchell watched all of it. Okay, yeah, I know where this is. Okay. But, you know, this is like, this is like when, so it's, it's this is like game six Braves level right here. This is like, the, they keep going back and forth, back and forth. And then at game six, the Braves come in and they're like, that's enough. Seven to zero. Enough playing around. Thanks, Houston. This has been fun, but we're done we we we're not going to play we're not going to keep we're just done. And so Jesus, if I was to title this message, I don't have a title, but if I was to title it, I would say this is the follow me level expert. They bring him their best pitcher and Jesus knocks it out of the park every single time. They throw the ball as hard and as crazy, they throw him curves, they throw him a slider and it doesn't matter what they throw at him, He crushes it. He takes the cover right off and sends the innards right out into the stands of the ball, of the ball. (laughs) So let's start. The first one, paying taxes. They come right out of the gate. They're like, should we pay taxes or not? And here he says in chapter 12, verse 13 and they, and they came to him. Some of the Pharisee, they sent him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, "Teacher, we know that you are true, and you do not care about anyone's opinion. That part they got right. For you're not swayed by appearances, but that you truly teach." You. you For you're not swayed by appearances, but you truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. Verse 17. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God, the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. So the denarius is a day's wage. He was like, okay, you want to talk, talk turkey? Let's talk turkey. Bring me your day's salary, and let's talk about it. So they do. Someone produces this coin that's equal to the day's salary, and he says, okay, well, whose face is on that? Whose face is on that? you can go ahead and put up that next slide rob the denarius was this was the day's wage and jesus blows their mind by saying that they're that they are to give to caesar the portion of their day's wage that is caesar's but not just that they're also to give god the portion of their day's wage that belongs to god they would have absolutely understood him at this time to be saying a tenth a tithe everybody in the room would have understood when he said Give to Caesar what's Caesar's, that meant your taxes, and give to God what's God's, that meant your tithe. There would not have been a question at that time what that meant. But Jesus never talked about tithing, did he? I love this. So they they come to him and they're like, hey, let's talk about taxes. And he's like, hey, let's talk about tithing. Actually, Jesus did talk about tithing. Interestingly enough, it's also in the same breath as when he confronts a dead religious ritual that they had and believes that the Pharisees, these exact dudes that he's talking to, when he he confronts them about it earlier in his ministry. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, and Luke chapter 11, verse 42, it says this. He's talking to them. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done, look at this, without neglecting the others. What's that mean? He says the same thing in Luke chapter 11. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint, rue, and every herb, and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. He's saying, you should do both. He's saying, you should show love and mercy and compassion and not have neglected the others. He's not saying, don't tithe on your stuff. He's just saying, you're so focused on the tithing of your stuff that you've forgotten love and justice and mercy. He's saying, it's yes and, it's both. The way of following Jesus is doing both. It's not choosing one or the other. Well, I'm just going to do this, and God will just settle it up in the end. No, he's saying, actually, you need to do both. You just need to not be so focused on one to the exclusion of the other. He says, without neglecting the others. What's he saying here? You've got the one part down. You just need to get the other part incorporated without neglecting the first part. Do justice, mercy, mercy. Faithfulness and tithe. It's not. This isn't rocket science. He's just explaining himself just really quickly. But also in distinguishing clearly between Caesar and God. Let's go back to that. Let's go back to that little coin. In, in distinguishing between Caesar and God, Jesus also protests the idolatrous claim on the very coin itself. If you look at this coin, right there at the that's that's the coin that's actually worth about six hundred bucks now. So if you find one, you're in luck. On that coin, there's an inscription on there. And what that description says is Tiberius, who was Caesar at the time, son of the divine Augustus. Whoa. Whoa. So, what that is is the claim that Caesar is God. Caesar is God. So, What they were saying is, should we pay taxes? And Jesus was saying, yeah, you should pay taxes and you should reject the notion that Caesar is God. How do you do that? By giving your money to God, by dedicating it with the tithe. You give the whole, you bring the tithe into the storehouse and the rest is blessed. You declare Caesar's not God. My dependence and my provision is God himself. So you can, you can, he, he, so what they were trying to do, they were trying to catch him if, because if he said, don't pay your taxes, there were soldiers all around right then. What they wanted to do was him say, oh yeah, don't pay your taxes. It's not important. He would have been arrested. Game over. But he hits it out of the ballpark by saying, yeah, pay your taxes and tithe. Give to Caesar what Caesar's, give to God what is God's. And in so doing, you crush the concept that Caesar is God. You remove the power of the government from your life by obeying God. Whoa. Sometimes we're like, oh, government, government, government this, government that, government this, government that. Oh, I don't like this. Or I don't like that. Oh, whatever. That's fine. Who is your allegiance to? My allegiance is to Jesus Christ and him alone. I show that by my checkbook. And by obedience to the laws of the land as well. With Jesus, it wasn't either or. With Jesus, it was yes and. Okay. Let's move on. You ready to move on? You're like, yeah, quit talking about my money. All right. <laughs> I'm done, I'm done. So let's move on to the next test. The Sadducees ask about the resurrection. Let's read this together. Verse 18. And the Sadducees came to him who say that there's no resurrection. That's an important note. You might have to read it in your Bible because that's pretty small up there. We're in Mark chapter 12, verse 18. The Sadducees came to him who say that there's no resurrection, and they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves... Wait, you guys, listen to this. This is ridiculous, right? I'm sorry. I'm just, yeah, this is the weirdest thing I've ever heard. Okay. <laughs> Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves his wife but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Verse 20. There were seven brothers. Goodness. The first took a wife, and when he left no offspring and died, the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And third, likewise. The seven left no offspring. There are a lot of other problems there, but we're not going to get into that. Whew. Last of all, the woman also died, for which she may have been thankful. You guys, seriously, they brought, you know, like the first question about taxes I get, this one, Jesus was like, what the heck? <laughs> In the resurrection, okay, let's let's pre- okay, they're serious, so let's go back. <laughs> In the resurrection, they're asking, when they rise again, all eight of these people, whose wife will she be? For the seventh, seven had her as a wife. Weird. Okay, Jesus says to them, is this not the reason that you're wrong? You know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. See, he doesn't get into like, well, um, how long was she married to the third guy? Well, I don't know. What about the second? Well, the second guy was nice. The fourth guy was kind of a jerk. We'll cut out the fourth guy. We don't even know if he's going to be there, so let's be honest. (laughs) He doesn't get into any of that. He says, no, you are mistaken because you don't know the Bible. you You don't know the books of Moses. And you don't know the power of God. This would have been wildly offensive to these dudes. So the Sadducees, the guys who are asking this question, this specific group, at that time, they were the high priesthood. It was them. They were it. They were the high priesthood, and they were the highest sect in politics in Israel at the time. And Jesus looks right at them, and he goes, you have no clue what you're even talking about. He didn't care how fast the pitch was. He didn't care what kind of pitch it was. He just crushed it. He said, you don't know the scripture or the power of God. Verse 25, for when they rise from the dead, he he gets into it just a little bit. He says, when they rise from the dead, they they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They'll be like the angels in heaven. As for the dead being raised, have you not read the book of Moses in the passage about the burning bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. Look at this quote, how he wraps it up. You are quite wrong. That's what he says. You are quite wrong. You know, isn't this where most of the problems in church happen? We don't know the scriptures or we don't know the power of God. In their case, they didn't know either one, as educated as they were. You don't know the scriptures, he says, because you don't understand eternity or even what Moses is saying here. What was even Moses' intent? Talk about the little, literal letter of the law. This is gross, this question. It's weird. They take the literal letter of what, what they think Moses was saying and they play it out exponentially in this ridiculous story for Jesus to try, like, what, what do they think he was gonna say? Uh, yes, uh, no. It's ridiculous. They don't even, they don't even understand the intent of what Moses is saying. The reason that Moses ever said anything like this about widows was simply so the vulnerable would be provided for. Because in that day and age, a woman who had been married, had no children, and then was widows. widowed, had nothing. She was left with nothing. So Moses was trying to make sure they were provided for. But Jesus is saying, you don't even know the word of God. You don't even know the power of God, what God can do. You don't know who he is, and you don't know what he can do. They've completely missed the point, and Jesus tells them so. You know, God has a solution for widows. He does it in Acts chapter 6. And I want to talk about that just really quick. He just, Acts chapter 6, he, the, the widows of a certain group aren't being provided for. So the leaders call people and they say, they call everyone together and they say, it's not right for us to leave the preaching of the word and prayer. So what we need is some people who are full of the spirit to hand out food to the widows full of the power of God. Who do they choose? Stephen, who was performing signs and wonders. They chose people who were full of the spirit of God, who were full of the power of God, who understood the power of God, who understood the word of God that were preaching in power and whose words were backed up with signs and wonders and miracles and they were like, that's the dude we want feeding the widows. That's God's solution. A spirit-filled church feeding the poor, helping the widows. That's God's solution. That's God's solution. People that are full of the Spirit, full of the power, that have a knowledge of God, who know what his intent is and know what he can do doing the stuff. That's his intent. We can get into real trouble when we abandon Scripture to chase after the manifestations of the Spirit that are contrary to the Word of God. On the other side of the coin, we can get into the other whole a whole other heap of trouble when we abandon the works of the Holy Spirit and give up on the gifts and manifestation of the Holy Spirit, claiming that Scripture teaches us, and rightly so, that God is a God of order. So we create, listen, we create the order and wait for God to fit into it. That's what happens when you just, you know, you, you think you know the Bible and you just want, you know, you have, you have order, you want order, you want order. God is a God of order. So the Holy Spirit get. well, let me ask you this. Who's the Holy Spirit? That's not a trick question. Who's the Holy Spirit? God. So it stands to reason that as God is a God of order and the Holy Spirit is God, any move of the Holy Spirit would, by definition, be in order. I'm just going to leave that there. Okay. But what about the weird stuff? What about the weird stuff? Listen, Jesus answers about the weird stuff. What reference does he take them back to? We're too familiar with this story. We're just, I I realize this about myself, I'm too familiar with the story. What reference does Jesus take them back to when they ask about, when, when he asks them this question, he said, you don't know the word of God and you don't know the power of God. Remember the burning bush? Talk about a weird story. You guys think about this. You're too familiar with this story maybe. Moses is out in the desert and he's shepherding sheep and he looks, his eye gets like drawn away by something and he sees it's a bush that is on fire and it's not burning anything else up. So in Idaho, that's weird because when stuff catches on fire, I mean, it really catches on fire. Not burning, So he goes over to it. And what starts to happen when he goes over to it? God talks to him out of the bush. You, wait, we're too familiar with the story. You're in the forest and there's a tree on fire and you walk up to it and God talks to you out of it? Think about this for one second. We're too familiar with this story. And then God says, see that staff in your hand? Throw it down and it becomes a snake. It gets weirder. He says, put your hand in your vest, and he does, and he pulls it out, and it's leprous. It gets weirder, and he says, put it back in and it's healed. And then he says, Go to Egypt, and puts a call of God on his life to get his people out of Egypt. That is a weird story. Can we just agree? Can we agree? Like, we're Christians, so sometimes we think there's a lot of things that are normal. That's not normal. God's not normal. And what Jesus was saying to the Sadducees was, you don't even know the scriptures you're claiming to quote, but you, so you don't know the intent. But the problem with that is, is you don't understand the power of God either. You don't think that God can raise the dead. That was the issue. See, they didn't believe in the resurrection. What does that deny? The power of God to raise the dead. Jesus was about to prove them wrong in a matter of hours. Within days from this moment, these words coming out of his mouth, God was about to do something that the world had never seen before that would change the course of history, the resurrection. If you don't understand the word of God and you don't think God can do that, your mind just might be blown God does weird stuff. And that weird stuff can and should be happening wherever and whenever we go places. That weird stuff should be happening wherever we go. You know what it said about, about the, the disciples? That everywhere they went, these things followed them. Weird stuff, signs, wonders, miracles, weird stuff happened wherever they went. They got killed for it. But when we let go of one part of God to only embrace the other part, we're in trouble. When we let go of the power of God just to embrace the Bible, we're in trouble. When we let go of the Bible just to embrace the wild parts, we're in trouble. God was saying, it's not one or the other. It's yes and. It's not enough just to understand scripture. You have to understand the power of God. We need to have a solid understanding of scripture and have a healthy desire for the working of the Holy Spirit in our life, in our church, in our city, in our nation. I was really encouraged recently when we went to the Vineyard USA conference because I was just kind of there as an observer because I'm new. And I was just kind of watching. And I was so encouraged by the balance that there was between healthy, biblical, scriptural teaching and the works of the Holy Spirit, because they go together. I, I'm gonna to say that again. There should be healthy biblical teaching and the works of the Holy Spirit, because they go together. Okay, can I be done? I have a couple more paragraphs on that one. Do you want me to skip them? I'll skip them, okay. so. Next, Jesus gets into the greatest commandment. This is a big one. This is is like home run time. In verse 28, you all still with me? Okay, I know we're covered a lot of ground. Okay, verse 28. One of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that, he answered them, seeing that Jesus answered them well, he asked. So the scribe hears these, these arguments that are going on and he Here's Jesus' answer, and he's like, oh, intriguing. I have a question. Which commandment is the most important of all? Ooh. Pick one, he's saying. Pick one. Jesus answered, well, the most, like without skipping a beat, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You know, this is important because he doesn't give time for the guy to answer in between. This is actually a media trick. This is a a marketing trick. So if you're training somebody to answer questions of the news media, what you do is you, you, you want them to make all of their point now within a sound bite. And so what has to happen is you can't breathe. Otherwise, they'll clip it. Like, oh, love your neighbor, or oh, love God. Oh, that was nice. Jesus said, love God. So in one breath, Jesus says, the Lord your God is one. Love him and love him only. And love your neighbor as yourself, all in one breath. And they go, oh, that's an interesting, that's an interesting point he's making. That's an interesting soundbite. And then this guy turns and says, Jesus says, there's no commandment greater than these, these two Verse 32, the scribe said to him, you're right, teacher. You're right, teacher. I love this. He's a scribe. What's a scribe? Someone who has been literally writing the words of God over and over and over and over. And somehow in all of that writing and copying down of the word of God, he knew the answer. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. You're right, teacher, you've truly said that he is one and there's no one beside him. And to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You're not far from the kingdom of God. You're not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one dared ask him any more questions. Game over. But Jesus wasn't done. You see, he wraps up with this clear dissertation on the fact that loving God is directly tied to loving people. How we love God is shown in how we love people. The two go together. He said there's not a commandment that's higher than these. Not that one and this one's a little." He said the second, and some translations say the second is like it. Not, and the second is. Some say, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's this direct correlation between loving God and loving people. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, it says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot, everybody say cannot, cannot, cannot love God whom he has not seen. Cannot. Jesus says that all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. That means they're to be the lens through which every other conversation is to be seen. They're the foundation of the other commandments. You can't have laws or interpretations of those laws that don't fit the grid of these two commandments. That's why they were off with the whole marriage in heaven thing. You see, you can't have a law that doesn't fit the grid of love God and love your neighbor as yourself. If those laws exist, they they have to be trimmed and cut down to fit into that grid. This is what James was alluding to when he says in James chapter 2, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. Jesus says, you're not far from the kingdom of God, dude. And he decides to try a question of his own on them. In verse 35, as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, how can the scribes say that Christ, the Christ is the son of David? David himself and the Holy Spirit declared the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David calls himself Lord. Now, how is he his son? This, Jesus was like, hey, you think you have 90-mile-an-hour fastball? Try this. I'm going to dig back into, your, into the prophecies of your people and see what you have to say. How is he his son? What question is Jesus asking here? To know that, we have to know that he's talking to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees believed that, G, that the Jewish people needed to break free from the bondage of Rome, but... That they would have a king who's not from Herod, who was king at the time, but from the line of David. That's That was an important moment. See, right now their king was Herod. He's not of the line of David. And, and there, the Pharisees claimed, no, 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 no. We're going to have a king and he's going to lead us in freedom from Rome, but he's going to be from the line of David. That's what's going to happen. And Jesus says, okay, here's a prophecy for you. Why did David say, my, the Lord said to my Lord? Because if it was his son, if it was David's son, he wouldn't call him my Lord. Who is it? It's Jesus. The Bible says, is the root of David, comes before David, whom David does say, my Lord. And it's something only God could do. Do you see how miraculous this is? It's something only God could claim. How is the Messiah, this David's son, how is the Messiah simply a man that comes from the lineage of King David? That's not enough. And what the psalmist David reveals in this prophetic utterance that the Lord says to my Lord was that the Messiah would come from the line of David, but he'd be so much greater that the greatest king they could ever imagine, David, would bow to him and call him my Lord. See, he's brilliantly using their own theology with them to show them who he is and who and what he is called to do. And then he says, beware of these guys that are trying to trap me right now. What's he saying? He says, I hear your arguments and I raise you a billion. He says, your arguments are down here. Your stuff is down here. Your questions are down here. I am solidly up here. There's not a question about who I am. I am the Messiah. And if you have questions about that, you can look to just a couple days ago when the people had all eyes on me, welcoming me into the city. He says, I am so far above what you see. Their eyes were only focused on themselves. They couldn't receive what he had to say. They were just jealous. And he's saying, I I, I am in a league of my own. Here is the greatest king you could imagine, David, and I'm up here. Take the hint. Jesus, level expert. I think what he's saying is, I just don't fit into any of your camps. See, they they were the Pharisees. This is who it says came to him. He said, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, and the teachers of the law. These four groups, and then the people are there too. So there's all these groups around him. These are all political groups as well, religious and political. And Jesus walks into this group, and he just basically says, I don't fit into your mold. I'm up here. Your politics say I'm over here. I'm over here. Your political party says I'm like this. Actually, I'm like this. This group says I'm this. Actually, I am this. And he sets the record straight. Every time one of the groups comes and says, this is what we think. This is what we think. This is what we think. He says, I don't fit into any of that garbage. I am the Messiah. You see, there's no need for Jesus to fit into your camp. Jesus doesn't fit into camps. In the end, in every century, it's always Jesus and everybody else. Every leader, every nation, everybody who comes along, everybody who tries to, you know, take over and have power, it's always Jesus and then everybody else. Jesus doesn't get to be claimed by one group or another. He's above that, literally. That kind of reminds me of... It kind of reminds me of how we're supposed to be. You know, the Bible says that we're, we're not supposed to fit either. We're aliens and strangers. One verse says that we are peculiar people. I always love that in the King James. A peculiar people. There was a song about it. I won't sing it. Anyway. (laughs) A peculiar people. Why? Because we're following the one that doesn't fit in the rest of the camps. So when you get too comfortable in one of the camps, what happens is his leadership is trying to lead you out of those camps and you're... My unwillingness to to leave the camps separates me from Jesus. So what I need to do is follow Jesus. That's what we're learning out of Mark is, follow me, Jesus said. We're following him. We're not following a leader or a party or a camp or an idea or an ideology. We're following a leader who is Jesus. Jesus. And when our eyes are on him, then we can receive these tough things about taxes and tithing and the authority of Scripture and the power of God and loving God and loving your neighbor. We can take all of that because we're following him and him alone. And I truly believe that his his intent for me is the best. So I can receive it. If the worship team could come, that'd be awesome. I don't know where you are. Yeah, the danger in fitting in with an ideology, any of them, is that when we need to part ways with that ideology, it's very difficult because we're already entangled in it. The Apostle Paul actually says we're not to get entangled with civilian affairs. We're not to get entangled. Let's stand together this morning. What I've come to realize over and over that as a Christ follower, if I find myself in a particular camp, I might be Christ-following wrong. If I find myself in some particular camp or another, I'm probably following Christ wrong. Because he doesn't lead me to a particular group. He leads me to himself. I've been in this passage for weeks now. And what I've realized is that it's challenging my values. It's challenging my values. I feel my values challenged by the things Jesus is saying to these dudes that lived 2,000 years ago. I feel my values challenged by these things. Maybe that's you this morning as I've talked about any of these points. If you felt any of your values challenged this morning, we're just going to respond to Jesus this morning. Our eyes are on him. I, listen, I, when I, Jesus talks specifically about taxes, but really what he's saying is he's, he's saying, oh, he's saying, do what the government's asking you to do right now. <laughs> Barf. That doesn't sound good to me. That doesn't sound good to me. <laughs> but Jesus said it. When he says, render to Caesar what's Caesar and to God's what's God's, give the money that's owed to Caesar to Caesar of yours, give the money that's owed to God of yours, I don't know what to tell you about that. That's, it's what Jesus said. And so I'm letting that adjust my value system. I'm not bringing my value system to that to be like, well, I don't know. I'm letting that statement by Jesus and those continued statements by Jesus throughout the New Testament inform my faith because it's the Bible. They're the words of Jesus. They're the red letters. When he talks about the authority of scripture, I'm letting that, inform my, and change my value system to understand that the Bible is it. I don't need any other self-help books. They're fine. They might be helpful right now. They might be helping me walk through something. But what I really need is the authority of Scripture in my life setting the tone for my life. And the only way I can do that is by reading it. Scripture doesn't set a tone for my life if I'm not reading it, if I'm not eating it. I'm not partaking of it if I'm not in it reading the Bible the power of God if I'm not acknowledging the power of God this this one this value system is shifting and changing in my life valuing the work of the Holy Spirit in his church and everywhere his church goes the work of the Holy Spirit we've do you know we've had people getting healed in our services physical healing in our services and out at the food bank Physical healings, manifestations of the Holy Spirit where God comes, touches someone, and heals them. Weird, yes. True, also yes. That's awesome. We want all of that. My values about loving God well with everything that I have, all my strength, all my time, all my energy, Oh, and this big one, loving my neighbor as myself. You guys, these are challenging my values. I don't know if they're challenging your values this morning. But let's let the word of Jesus challenge our values this morning. And if our eyes are on him, if our eyes are on him, we understand we're following after him with all that we have. Amen. So I, let's just close our eyes and let's pray and let's let God speak to us and just put his finger on anything, just anything, any of these values that he wants to shift and adjust in our lives, all over this campus, in every home that's joining us online, everywhere you're joining us from this morning, would you just say, Holy Spirit, come and speak to me. Shift my values. I want my values to line up with yours, Jesus. Nothing else, nothing else will do. Yes, God, we want all of Your work in our lives, not just a part. Lord, today we declare we want the yes and. We want all of it, God. We don't want to just leave a part out because we're uncomfortable or or it's too much, or it's, it's, Lord, we don't want to leave any part out of relationship with you. We want all that you have for us today. So we just say, come and have your way in our hearts and in our lives today. And this week, as we leave this place, would you have your way in our lives this week? Would you change our lives, God, as we go about our our day-to-day life? Would you Help us to love you with all that we have and love our neighbor as ourselves. Would you lead us down these paths, God? Would you lead us down the ancient paths, God, of faith in you? We open our lives up to you, God, and we say, have your way in us. You're leading us. You're teaching us. We want to follow you with everything we have. Lord, and I just ask, God, that you would, uh, Lord, I just bless your people today as we leave this place. I bless each one. Lord, we thank you for healing. We thank you for encouragement. We thank you for hope. We thank you for strength and life in Jesus' name. And we just, we just, I bless your people today, God, with all of, all of those good things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. God bless you. If you need prayer for any reason, we want to pray for you and there's a team of people that's ready to pray. So if, you're, uh, if you want to minister to people and you're on the prayer team or the School of Kingdom Ministry team and you just want to lay hands on people and pray, come on up. If you need prayer for any reason, there's a team of people that is just ready to pray for you for whatever you need today. So come on up. Come on up. Come on up. Thanks for listening. To respond or receive prayer after the live stream closes, please email prayer at vineyardboise.org and if possible, include your phone number. We'd love to get in touch with you. Thanks.